0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our
1: industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. Welcome to a groundbreaking critical conversation series of Served Up podcast episodes recorded live at the vibrant Maya event at the Tales of the Cocktail. Get ready for a riveting lineup of episodes that delve deep into the heart of what the beverage industry truly cares about, from sipping on powerful discussions about diversity, equity, and belonging, to raising a glass to conversations about the oppressive shadow of censorship, and even toasting to the importance of cherishing the elders of the LGBTQ plus community, and so much more. We're here to uncork critical conversations that will leave you inspired, informed, and ready for action. So get ready, folks, because we're about to get served up a series of these conversations that will quench your thirst for knowledge, ignite your passion for progress, and leave you with a renewed sense of purpose. Let's do this. It's Bridget here. Get ready for a served up episode that's going to immerse you in a conversation that's about fostering a culture of well being, compassion, and balance. Laura Louise Green is the founder of Healthy Poor and is a guiding light around mental clarity and the beverage industry and health and wellness that is absolutely revolutionary. She empowers individuals to take care of themselves while taking care of others. Welcome to Served Up Critical Conversations. I'm your host, Bridget Albert, and I'm really excited to be joined by my dearest friend, Elaine Duff, who is the Director of Advocacy for Sampson & Surrey. And today, we're going to have a really interesting and a much-needed conversation with an incredibly special guest that I'll let you introduce.
2: Ah, Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me on. And today, I'll, I'll pass it along to, we have such an exceptional guest here. We have somebody I've been a fan of for a long time, Laura Louise Green. She's a psychotherapist. Yep. Um, you are an organizational well-being consultant. Mm-hmm. You are and the founder of Healthy Poor. Yes. So, Laura, it is, as you know, it's such a pleasure. Well, to me, it's such a pleasure, and I hope to everybody else, it's such a pleasure to have you on. But I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself mm-hmm. and Healthy Poor.
3: Yeah, so I started in hospitality many, many years ago, like so many of us did. Um, I loved it. I fell in love with it. I loved making cocktails. So I was making cocktails at the, like, at the early advent of, like, 2010, you know, right when every place was like, there's a cocktail revolution. Old school.
2: <laughs> I remember 2005 and lime juice was like wow. a surprise. Should like we fresh talk lime about
3: juice. the 90s? Exactly.
2: No, too soon. Too
3: soon. Too soon. So, I mean, so it's been a while and I fell absolutely in love with it. I loved the collaborative processes that came with it, collaborating with my colleagues behind the bar, with Chef. Um, I found, though, that as much as I loved it, it was kind of ruining my life. You know, like, I was out late every night. I was spending all my money. This was pre-Uber, so I was spending, like, $25 on taxi cabs to, yeah, to and from work every day just because I was out so late and then sleeping in and had to, what, all all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I went back to school then to become a therapist because I was like, as much as I love hospitality and as much as I want to keep doing this work, I don't really see a future for me. Like, I kind of couldn't envision my life past 40 which wow. was scary, you know, yeah. for me, it wasn't like, oh, no, what am I going to do? I was like, I can't imagine, like, I'm putting myself in these really high risk situations. So I started to become a psychotherapist with every intention of leaving the industry. But as I was studying over those four years, my career in beverage started accelerating. I started managing programs. I started managing multiple programs at the same time. And I hit this point that I was like, what? what am I going to do? <laughs> like, I think we've all been there. You know, like, I really love this. And I also kind of was kicking myself thinking, gosh, there's there are such wonderful careers available to us in this industry, but we don't, why didn't I see it then? So I had all of these questions of like, why do we behave like this? Why am I out drinking so late? Why did I not see so much potential in the industry for my career that I didn't just have to be a bar owner? You know, I saw a very narrow path of what my life could be like when there was so much more. So I started focusing my clinical work on hospitality and looked my research especially of like, why are we behaving like this? What is going on here? And from that came Healthy Poor. So I started providing seminars to the community. I started writing. I started talking about, uh, Anthony Bourdain had just died. So I was talking about like suicide and depression and those kinds of things, um, our relationship with alcohol. And then over time, that evolved into a full consultancy where I work with organizations in particular to Help them improve the workspace and working environments so that the organization isn't necessarily responsible for an individual's mental health, but it's responsible for ensuring that someone is able to thrive as the result of their workplace. That the workplace is not spitting them up and chewing, no, chewing them up and spitting them out. It's more like, how can we get it so that people come to work and leave better than they started?
1: Absolutely. You know, that's really fantastic. Mental health and well-being are incredibly important topics, especially in this really fast-paced industry that we're in. Can you elaborate really on the significance of mental health in the workplace? Yes.
3: So, I mean, work, we spend a lot of time at work, and we attach a lot of our identities to work, a lot of being social creatures. Human beings are incredibly social creatures. And we invest a lot of our understanding of our self-esteem, our self-worth, our capability, which is all tied to our mental health and well-being, into how much we are able to contribute to... Our community and our society as a whole. So, work starts to play this really big role in our identities and our overall mental health because we want to be able to contribute in whatever way that we can. In a capitalist society, it looks like work, unfortunately, but it is kind of as it is at this point. So, work, the way that work contributes to our mental health and well being, it takes a whole monster <laughs> within us. It's you know, it it really shapes how we understand the world around us. Um, we can de- we can definitely talk about the ways that, you know, when people are well at work, they are able to be more productive. They're able to be more um, innovative and creative. They work better with others. But what happens in the workplace also serves our entire communities as a whole. So. When we look at work and well-being, like, okay, I'll give the example of when I was a therapist, like a practicing therapist. I had people for one hour a week, and I could help them build skills in that one hour, but then they went off to the world, and they lived in the world that they were in, and I saw that it was so much about the social environment that they were a part of, and much of that was the workplace, and ensuring that the work is taking care of people is a big big thing when it comes to our overall care, because also when people leave the workplace and go to their homes, we don't want to see people giving their families the scraps, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so the work workplace is such a big thing with mental health. It's it, um, you know, and if you're listening to this, I would take some time to reflect on, you know, how your work impacts your mental health, how your mental health has changed when you've gone from workplace to workplace. When things are good at work, how do you interact with the people around you? It has a tremendous influence,
2: I think, inc- I think that's such an important point because as somebody who's actually had to go to therapy because of her job, yeah. mm-hmm. has caused me so much stress uh, at a past job that I had and I needed to uh, actually see a therapist to find tactics to deal mm-hmm. with the stress. I was thinking about going on drugs. Yeah. Uh, my husband had a step in and he's like, you should quit your job before you need to take medicine so that you can go to work every day. And I was like, that is a valid point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how many, just going back to where you are talking to me before, how many organizations, are enough organizations doing this yet, like seeking oh, you out?
3: No, no, people are not. Um, a lot of, what I see a lot is people are very excited that this work is happening, but it's people are kind of holding back and working with me because they think it's other people's work to do. Mm. And I think that, you know, like, oh, it's so good what you do with the community. It's so great that you're working with these organizations. Most of the people I work with have already kind of passed that threshold of we're doing good work already and we want to do better work. I want to see more people working with me who are like a little bit problematic. You know, I want to work with the groups that like really need the help. And those are the ones that I think are in this uh, sort of self-denial phase of like, you know, we don't need to do that. This is for everybody else to do. But we see that a lot, right? We see that in, you know, a lot of people are sober curious now. People are happy that like there are more N.A. beverages, but they're not imbibing in them necessarily when they probably should be. Yeah. You know, so it's at that funny place I mean, we can look at the behavioral stages of change in this context. It's very much in contemplation and pre-contemplation. People are glad that it exists. They know that it exists, but they're not quite ready to take the leap. And it's not, I mean, it's hard work, but it's really not scary work. Like well, healthy- speak
2: about that. What are some practical strategies or tactics so somebody could take a walk away today and be like, okay, in our workplace, we're going to put these into practice so that mm-hmm. my team is happy?
3: So the first thing with healthy poor and this might surprise people because, you know, my background is as a psychotherapist and I'm doing another degree in organizational psychology right now um, because I just love school and hate money. So um, (laughs) (laughs) it's great. I love it. Um, But the first thing we look at is like, what are your actual systems there? It's, do you have an onboarding process? What does your recruitment look like? What do your applications look like? What are the job descriptions? Do you have job descriptions? Do you have an onboarding process? Um, What kind of stay interviews are you offering? What kind of of one-on-one feedback are you providing? What are your systems of feedback in the workplace? So when we look at mental well-being, first thing we're looking for is structure. Like, is there actually structure there? It is so stressful to work for a place that, like, I okay. I was recruit I was hired for this place and on my first day they were like we don't really have a training program for you, we're just kind of gonna grease you up and throw you to the pigs. Wow. <laughs> and this was like a big organization. Mm. And the stress, and at first I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's go. I'm going to crush it. But the stress that amassed over the years, I never knew if I was doing a good job because I, no met- I, I never had any metrics of success. Um, I had, my goals were really unclear. So then I'm just floundering, just trying to do a better and better job because I wasn't getting feedback, good or bad. You know, so putting systems of feedback in place, structure, making sure you are meeting with people one on one, creating career development pathways. And that's a lot, there's a lot of potential with brands working directly with hospitality centered organizations to provide that career development. If, if bars and restaurants and hotels can't necessarily afford it, there's a lot of potential there. And there's a lot of great outcomes that come with providing that career development and training and stuff. Um, loads of data on that. It's really interesting. But before, like you said, before we get to the drugs, even though drugs are, you know, brain drugs can be really helpful just to, you know, just to say. (laughs) But before we get to training managers and how to manage crisis, which we do want to get to eventually with these organizations. First, we just got to see, like, do you have an onboarding process Right. You know so very, very basic work first, and then we can start building leadership skills within organizations, start doing training, start to create um, relationships with the local um the local community psychotherapy group, so that if something happens in the organization that's an easy an easy pathway to providing help, you know we can get to that point, but first just like create a system of feedback, you know those basic things, yeah.
1: No,
2: I think that's that's amazing. That's really important stuff.
1: Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for those excellent um, strategies because it it is really important to create that environment where everyone feels safe and feels comfortable. And, you know, that does come sometimes with discussing mental health and it's not all the systems are always there to support those discussions. They can be very scary to to do. So let's talk about the impact of work-related stress on mental well-being and how do organizations effectively address the stress and manage stress levels? Yeah, so stress
3: is one of my, um, my, when I look at like my research systems, it's um, one of the main ones is socio-emotional stress. So like The stress that comes with being part of a group, the natural stress that comes with being part of a group. Um, But when we look at the workplace in relation to that, again, first, it's like the same thing as looking at systems. It's identifying what is stressing people out that doesn't have to be there. So very basic stuff like is there enough glassware? You know, is, are we staffed? Are people making enough money to be able to survive or are they having stress around being able to pay rent or to feed their kids and stuff like that? So what are the things that we can address stress-wise that are rather, you know, um, tangible to change? Before we get to the stuff that's maybe a little bit more uncomfortable or scary, like are we putting the schedule out two weeks ahead of time or is it out like three days before you so you can't plan your life. You don't know when you're going grocery shopping, those kinds of things. So very much looking at removing stressors first. Then when we look at coping and managing with stress, that becomes looking more at the entire system as a whole. So like the individual's life and like what is stressing them out. And we could talk there is, a dy- there is a dynamic of like people are bringing in their own stress, which oh, yeah, is sure. You yeah, know, that's a, na- that's a natural thing, right? And in this industry, we find that people are a little bit more stressed out. There is a little bit more just dis- like emotional dysregulation happening. Mm-hmm. So they're not able to manage their stress as easily. So that's definitely there. Um, but if leaders can show and model themselves dealing with their stress, So like coping effectively, not coping with alcohol, coping in a way that's active and problem solving, talking through things, um, reshaping how we address conflict is a really great way to help manage and address our stress. Instead of like pointing fingers and blaming, seeing conflict as there's a problem that is conflicting and we need to solve the problem, not solve the person, Mm -hmm. Um, different things like that. You know, we can obviously use more stress relief and nervous system tactics like taking six deep breaths in the walk in or I really like um, or screaming in there or crying, depending on your day. Um, but another one I really like is like when I wash my hands in the sink, I'll just shake my hands vigorously just to get all the extra energy out because stress builds energy. Um, it's the same way that like my dog will you know shake his stress off like we are the same me and my dog and all humans Um, (laughs) so you know things like that but there is a difference between regulating our nervous system which is getting that energy out and addressing stressors overall so it depends on the moment of like how are we addressing the stress and then of course the interpersonal stress that comes with conflict and not being seen or not feeling like we belong or those kinds of things they all have different kinds of interventions.
2: No, that that makes so much sense to me because there is that, that is that stress level and not knowing how to deal with it. And we do all have our own level of stress that we can't bring into the workplace. But being a, an example as the boss, I think that's something I think a lot of us can learn yeah. from. It's like, how am I dealing with my stress as a manager? Like, and how do I bring it to the team? I think it's really great.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at, like going back into your memory of, um, who your leaders are, who the chef was, who your bar manager was, who your, you know, who your supervisor was. We will often adopt how they our parents, our teachers, how they managed with their how they manage their stress. If you look at Gordon Ramsay, who's stressed out and screaming at everybody, that becomes a model for us, like a subconscious model. We are subconsciously learning, it's called social learning theory. Um, that we are learning that is how you deal with situations like this. And that's how these long lineages of abuse in the workplace, for example, um, that's how they really start and continue. So if leaders can like sort of break that cycle, that like workplace generational cycle, if you will, and manage and show ourselves managing our stress differently, people will use that as the model and then adopt that. So it's so important.
2: No, and, and that makes so much sense. And also the fact that leadership has such an important role to kind of like setting the, you know, what is the benchmark for mental health mm-hmm. workplace, right? So for yourself, how much, I mean, it sounds like also empathy has a lot to to do with it. Like empathy to employees and giving them a place to be able to vent. Is there a fine line between empathy and being too much of a coddler?
3: Yeah, I look, I, I turn more to compassion, which, which empathy is a part of. In compassion, we understand why someone's behaving how they are. We can see their perspective. We can see all the pieces coming together. But there's also an element of accountability and compassion to be like, yes, I see why this is happening, but it was still not okay that you yelled at that person or that you went off on that guest or whatever. Like, I can see why this happened and we can problem solve that. But we also have to acknowledge that that kind of behavior or whatever is not it, you know? So I, I really like leading, leaning into, leading into compassion more. If we only rely on our empathy, it becomes hard. It it becomes hard to be actionable with that. And, you know, I remember when I was studying to be a therapist and managing people, it was a hard line to be like, Oh, I see why this is, I can, it's like the matrix, right? You see all like the zeros and ones and you're like, I see how this is happening. Oh my gosh you know, and I want to protect people. But at the same time, we do have to change behavior at the end of the day. And we can protect people while changing behavior so that the group at large is healthier. Um I, What I see a lot of leaders run into is not knowing where the boundary is of where they should help and where they should hand stuff off. Um, I always... This is why I think it's so important, too, to understand what benefits are available in the workplace and make a relationship with a local counseling agency or have an EAP program and an employee assistance program so that if somebody comes to you with a problem that's outside of your scope, just say, I hear you, I see you, here's some resources. I will call you with them right now if you want, you know, and hand that off. As a, man, as a restaurant manager, as a beverage manager, you're not there to manage anyone's mental health but you are there to ensure that the workplace is
1: not harming their mental health. Those are different things. Right. That makes a
2: lot of sense. It makes
1: perfect sense. How do you define well-being? You know, just being well, and what are practical ways individuals can really prioritize their health in their lives? Yeah,
3: this is, I mean, I I love this question because well-being is a um, highly argued word in the academic community. A lot of... A lot of um, definitions say that it's about happiness and the ability to be happy. And I hate that because, like, as part of the human experience, we are so much more than happy. You know, we are a whole array of emotions and all those emotions are there for us to navigate what it's like to be alive. Like, when we are enraged, that that serves us in a certain way. When we are, like, depressed, that serves us in a certain way, you know. So... When I think about well-being and the definitions that I tend to lean to, it's more about thriving and having the ability to thrive and having the ability to grow um, within our current environment and circumstance. So we're looking at emotional well-being, mental well-being, financial well-being is a huge one. Social well-being, all of these things kind of play into one another. And again, when you're listening to this, think about like, are there areas of my life that are sort of like dragging me? down a little bit. Like if my relationships are good, I'm taking care of myself, all of this stuff, but like financially I can't keep up and it's really bringing me into a hole. Then we know where to really, um, hone in and address. If you go to if you go to healthypoor.org, there are some um, worksheets on there that we look at life satisfaction and has all the dimensions of well-being that you can assess for yourself like where am i doing really well and where do i have to do some work? And then there's a bunch of thought prompts as well that people can use to really figure that out. But the first thing is really finding like what's holding me back? And what is really good that I can rely on and come back to? It's very easy to focus on what we don't have when we have all of these other strengths that we can also rely on. If our relationships are in a good place, lean on those relationships in this time, you know. But in terms of how to improve well being overall, um, it's really dependent on the individual. So I encourage folks to like, do a little bit of self-work, work in that way, and figure out like where where do I need extra support, and where can I find that?
2: I love that. That's great because I will find. You know, I'm sure you've seen this as well. It's like you can go through that list, and it's nice to have a few strengths and like to rely back on mm-hmm. and say oh, at least I have these. Because if you might have something that is, you know it's dragging you down and you've been burying your head in the sand, or that could just be me. Uh, but knowing <laughs> you have those other things to remind yourself, like, my life is not so bad. Like, I have all these other things. I just have this one problem and I should address it. So I love that advice. You
3: know what else I'll say about that is when I do surveys and stuff, like engagement surveys, overall well-being surveys with organizations, that we look at metrics like employee engagement and psychological safety, career development so we have all these different constructs and you know metrics that we look at there's usually just one or two things that are down in the dumps and everything else is really high and it's always a fascinating thing to me because I'll go back to leadership and ownership and say overall you're doing really well if people are just feeling a certain kind of way because of this one thing it's like a keystone and so it's the same way with us. But it's a trend that when you have just that one thing that's kind of faltering, it brings everything down. So do not, if you, if you feel like things are spiraling, it's usually just like one or two things, you know, that can be, that can be addressed. Like looking at the bigger picture can be really helpful.
2: No, that's, that's such great advice. I was gonna say, and we wanted to talk about a little bit the current challenging being faced today. So obviously, you know, we just came off a traumatic, you know, pandemic. Yes. Um, How is it? pandemic impacted our mental health? And what can we do to cope with these challenges?
3: So pandemic, I mean, obviously was the nightmare of all nightmares. Um, What I'm seeing in terms of like the sort of aftershocks of the pandemic is that Industry at large has a lot of trauma. So the other area of re- within the socio-emotional stress that I do in my research, I look a lot at developmental trauma, so like childhood trauma, um, social trauma, you know, racial trauma, socioeconomic trauma, that kind of stuff that might change how we um, engage with the world around us, or understand our stress, or understand our social relationships around us, and that includes what we're willing to like tolerate in the workplace, what we deem to be. Um, comfortable in the workplace. So, if you grew up in a household where your parents are alcoholic and they're yelling a lot and stuff like that, then you might be attracted to a workplace that is also very chaotic and there's screaming people and there's a lot going on. So, that's the kind of work. That's the kind of work that I do in my um, research and academic life. How that relates to the pandemic is that when we had an entire industry that is heavily traumatized in general, either from these developmental pieces or the workplace kind of upholding those standards and that culture that kind of coddles that trauma, if you will, when you add this added layer of uncertainty... Or um, sort of social dismissal, like there was not a lot of social support around restaurants and bars. And so people feel a certain kind of way of like, oh, my God, do we really not matter? Mm-hmm. What is going on here? Right. And then to come back and much of these environments have not changed It's like burnout city. So when we look at burnout, it's when we don't feel like we have feelings of control. Like we don't feel like we can control our situations. We're not seen, we're not accepted, we're not valued. So I'm seeing this just like really complex and overwhelming sense of burnout because what people really want is to feel like they're contributing, that they belong, that they're seen and they're valued. And I think people are really struggling to feel that. And that is the workforce and that's business ownership right now. That they're like, are we not worthy of social support in these ways? Um, So in terms of how to address that, there's a lot of groups that are doing a lot of advocacy around, um, you know, around like uh, business support and things like that. We're seeing a lot of mental health like Nonprofit mental health organizations pop up, which is really great. And we're seeing this community care element come in. Um, But I would say also, like, if you're feeling in a way that you don't have control, start seeing a therapist if you can. There are also peer support groups through H.E.R.D., Ben's Friends is another one. Chow is another one. They have virtual peer support as well. Even just going and seeing that you're not alone in feeling a certain kind of way. But overall, we have to see um, the social worth of hospitality increase, which also means we also, we have to really respect each other in this time and make sure that we are seeing each other, you know, in our professional community. And like being at Tails is a great time to really recognize each other and see each other and value each other. Um, so it's a really wonderful, uh, space and environment to do that in. But yeah, the pandemic, Ooh, a lot of people came out Oof, with some yeah. stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. myself included. And a, and a lot of
2: people left. Yeah. yeah. A lot, and, yeah. and a lot of, a lot of, lot of people, people left. left. Yeah. Cause
3: I think a lot of people also saw, like, I don't know that I can, I don't want to have to endure this. Mm-hmm. So the more we can change this industry to make an environment that people can actually be themselves and be who they want to be within these spaces and contribute what they want to in a way that is not harmful, like, the better we'll be off, the better off we'll all
1: be overall. Absolutely. 100%. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you, engage with you, and learn more about Healthy Poor?
3: Yes. So Healthypoor.org is the website. Lots of information there. We also have institute.healthypoor.org where there's a lot of free resources, free classes. We do like monthly free seminars about like what is a trauma-informed workplace, what is mental health, down to the most basic to very complex stuff. And in there, there's also like different certifications, leadership skills, training, organizational leader certifications. All sorts of stuff. I've been very, very busy. Like busy <laughs> like busy it. bee over here. Um Instagram, um, healthy.poor. My personal is Laura.louise dot green, but it's just pictures of my dog. So
2: I mean <laughs> Hey, those make people happy. Yeah, yeah. they do. People love
3: the dog cat relationship. That is like the number one thing. But yeah, Laura at healthypoor.org. Get in touch. You know, like we have a lot of ways that we can work with organizations from free to not
2: free. So we would just rather you get in touch, so we can figure something out to help. Uh, th- this has been fantastic, Laura. I've learned a lot. Uh, oh, good. But you, like, yeah. So thank you so much for it's sharing. It's always the- a
3: lighthearted conversation with <laughs> me. <laughs>
2: Well, no, but as you shared, you know, thank you so much for sharing your valuable resources and thank you for joining me and, and Bridget on Served Up uh, today. And, uh, you know, it's just a pleasure always to see you and to hear some of your really valuable insights. So thank, thank you. you. Thank it's,
1: you, both. It has been absolutely marvelous to be sitting next to my friend, Elaine Duff, and to have you, Louise, on Served Up. Just want to wish you both um, all, all my very best and wish you both great health and a lot of peace. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks
0: for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion, can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!